Well, once again, I want to welcome you here to Big Valley Grace. Welcome to those of you that are over in the venue, and man, that thing is just packed up. Um, welcome to those of you that are watching online, and if you're listening on the radio, we're, we're glad you're with us. Um, you can take your Bibles if you have them and turn to Luke chapter 24. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay, because all of the notes and stuff will be inside this little shell that we hand out each week here, or they'll come up on the jumbotrons so that you can see the Word of God for yourself. Before I get into this, um, let me just, just briefly give you a thought about this new series starting next week. Um, I'd like to uh, maybe include you in a, on it in a special way, and so if you're a friend of mine on Facebook, uh, each Monday I'm going to post a, a question or two and let you kind of enter into the conversation, and you can answer it, and I'll include it in my message, maybe even answer some of the questions that you might pose on there about the, the different topics that I'll be talking on. And so uh, if you're not a friend, you can always friend me and uh, become a part of the conversation that way long before the gathering starts. Um, the night before Jesus died on the cross, okay, the night before he was crucified, he made a, a really weird statement that nobody, at least at that moment, understood. Jesus said, before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you'll see me. Because I live, you also will live. One version says it like this, in a little while, the world will no longer see me, Jesus said, but, but you're going to see me. Because I'm alive, and you're about to come alive. And I thought about just that moment this past week. Jesus has all of his followers around him, and he makes this statement that you're about to come alive. And I just know that those guys and gals that were around at that moment thought to themselves, you know, what are you talking about? We're, we're already alive, Jesus. Our hearts are beating right now. We're, we're a part of life right now. What do you mean when you say we're about to come alive? Well, beloved, I want you to know what we're celebrating right now, Easter, the resurrection of Jesus Christ is all about coming alive. That's what Jesus was talking about. Th th those disciples at that moment had no idea what he was talking about. But we do. You see, Jesus was crucified on a Friday. He died on a Friday. We call it Good Friday. And some men took his body off of the cross and they put it into a tomb or really a cave. And then they rolled this huge stone in front of it thinking that that was going to be Jesus' final resting place because he was dead. People saw him die. The Romans were really good at killing people. They had executed a lot of people on the cross way before Jesus, and after Jesus died, they executed a lot of people after he died. They were experts at killing people on the cross. That was their form of capital punishment. He was dead. They put him into a tomb, and then they rolled a big rock in front of that tomb. 
Then the Roman government put a platoon of soldiers in front of the grave to guard it. These were kind of like the the Navy SEALs of their day because they were afraid that one of Jesus' followers would come and steal his body. And the last thing the Roman government needed was a scandal concerning the, the, the dead body of Jesus. So not only is he dead, not only is he sealed up behind a, 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 a big, huge stone, but the Roman government has a, a, a platoon of soldiers guarding the, the grave. But what happened three days later literally changed the course of history. What happened three days later is the reason why people gather all over the planet on a day like today, literally billions and billions of people, and celebrate and party. It's the reason why churches are jammed up. Now, this one's always jammed up, but it's the reason why churches this, you know, on this particular weekend are just packed. In fact, it's on a weekend like this, we actually hire the Highway Patrol to be here last night and tonight just to get cars off the property in a hurry and get them on the property in a, in a hurry. Because we know we're always gonna have a, a lot of, of people here. In fact, um, last night alone in our two gatherings, we had almost 100 first-time guests. Last hour, I think we had 75 first-time guests. I'll bet there's 100-plus first-time guests here in our church, and, and we're just grateful that you're with us. What took place three days after Jesus was put in that tomb, more importantly, changed my personal life. My life was never the same because of what happened three days later. And I want to read it for you, okay? It's Luke chapter 24. Look at verse 1. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the woman took the spices they had prepared and they went to the tomb. And their expectation was they would get the Roman soldiers to roll that big stone out of the way and they were going to be able to go in and do what the Jews did with dead bodies. But when they got there, they found that the stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were wandering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, these women bowed down with their faces to the ground. But the men said to these women, why do you look for the living among the dead? He's not here, he's risen. Remember how he told you while, you, while he was still in Galilee? He said, the son of man, that's Jesus, must be delivered into the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. And then these women remembered his words. When they, came back to the, uh, when they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11, to all and to all the others. These women were Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they did not believe the women. The reason why these apostles, these first followers of Christ didn't believe was they saw Jesus bloodied up, beat to a pulp, hanging on a cross, most of them. They, they saw him come off of that cross. 
They saw his limp body. They, they saw it put into that tomb. They saw that big rock put in front of that tomb. They saw the garrison of Roman soldiers. And here are these women saying, hey, listen, we got there. There's no body. The stone's been rolled away. In fact, the next line says, they thought it was nonsense. And I can understand that because for a lot of years, I thought it was nonsense too. Some of you are here today in this room over in the venue, and to you it's nonsense. You're here because, I don't know, your mom brought you, your dad brought you, you know, your friend brought you, your parents brought you, your boyfriend brought you, your girlfriend brought you, somebody brought you. And it's Easter, and, you know, you're here. But you're just like these original disciples. This is just nonsense. It's crazy talk, isn't it? Somebody rose from the dead? <laughs> it ends like this. Peter, however, he got up and he ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what happened. So here's the scene. Peter and the guys are all kicking back. These women show up, and they go, hey, guys, you're not going to believe this. We went to the tomb, the, the stone was rolled away, the, the soldiers are gone. We looked in and Jesus isn't there. And they're all going, oh man, did you guys, you know, get into the juice a little early this morning? You know, I mean, this is nonsense. But Peter went, you know what? I'm gonna go check this out. I just want to go see what's happening. And let me, just before I get into this, just challenge some of you who believe this is nonsense right now. Um, you know, you just want to get to brunch. Let me challenge you just for a few minutes to be like Peter. And don't, you know, don't zone me out and and, and, you know, think about other things. Maybe just for a few minutes, just listen to what I'm going to say. If nothing else, you can leave here and go to your family party, go to the brunch or whatever it is, and you can still think to yourself, boy, that's nonsense. That's just crazy talk. You can do that. And many of you will. I know it. But, but maybe you'll hear something fresh. Maybe something you never heard before. And the worst case scenario is you, you blew an hour of your life. But who knows what might happen if you just pay attention for, for just a second. Now, I want you to know that everybody knows this part of the story, right? Even when I was growing up, I didn't know the Lord, but on Easter, I'd go down to First Baptist, and the preacher would step up, and he'd talk about Jesus died on a Friday. They put him in a tomb, and he walked out of the tomb. I didn't believe. It was nonsense to me, but I understood that part of the story. Everybody in this room understands that part of the story. If you live in America today, you understand that part of the story. You may not believe it, but at least you understand that's what Easter's all about. But what's sad is, is that most people don't understand the second part of the story. And the second part of the story involves you and involves 
your life. You see, the resurrection of Jesus was about offering you a new life. It was about offering you an eternal life. It was about coming alive in a way that you've never been alive before. You see, we're all alive. And some of us have some pretty good lives. We got good jobs, right? We got good careers and we got great families, got great spouses maybe, you know. Life is pretty good. We're alive. You, you might even be so blessed that you've got multiple homes and multiple cars and all kinds of stuff. You're alive. But what Easter's about, the second part of the story is about coming alive in a whole new way, in a way that is far greater than being alive now. Jesus said this in John chapter 10. He said, I have come in order that you might have life. If you've ever wanted to know why Jesus came, he, he kind of clarifies it right here. He says, I have come so that you might have life. Well, obviously, you're alive now, so the life that he came to give you is a different kind of life. He says life in all of its fullness. Some Bibles say he came to give you an abundant life. That's why he came. You have a life right now. I understand that. Jesus understood that you have a life now. But he came to give you a different kind of life. An unbelievable life. Now he didn't say that I've come to give you more things to do in your life. If Jesus would have said that, I wouldn't be here right now. I got enough to do. My to-do list is jam-packed, and probably most of yours is also. The last thing Jesus wants to do is give you more things to do. He didn't say that I've come to give you a, a, a religious life. Who needs a religious life? He didn't say that I've, I've come to give you a set of rules and regulations that you're to live your life by. He didn't say that. He said, I've come to give you life, an abundant life, a, a life full of meaning and purpose, a life that'll go on forever and ever and ever throughout all of eternity. I, I've come to make you alive in a whole new and fresh way. And here's the, the really sad thing. And it's the thing that, that I want to focus on today. The sad thing is, is that most people will never experience this life. You'll experience life, but most people will never experience this life that Jesus came to give them. Listen to these sad words from Jesus. And I, as I read this this week, it really, um, it, it was hard for me to move on. Jesus said this, he said, the gate is wide and the road is wide that leads to hell. And many people enter through that gate. In other words, there is a life. There is a, a life that you can live that leads to a really crummy place. He said, but the gate is small and the road is narrow that leads to true life. And then he says, 
But only a few people find that road. You see, the the life that leads to, to hell is packed full of people. But Jesus said that there's a road that leads to this life that he came to give. It's narrow, not many people get on it. Last night and this morning, I gave people the opportunity to come and receive this new life that Jesus offered. And a lot of these people right here went from being on one particular road and they got on the other road that Jesus talked about. And in a little while, I'm gonna offer you the same opportunity. Jesus came that you might have life. And one of the the great purposes of the church is to make sure that we offer that life that Jesus offers to all people. And obviously a lot of folks said, I want that life. They got, a, they got a life. A lot of these people got great lives. A lot of these people got great businesses and, and they're, they're vice presidents and they're CFOs and CEOs. and they, they, got a, they got a life that most of us would just dream of having. But God opened their eyes to a different kind of life. And I hope and pray that maybe you, over in the venue, whatever, this might be the weekend for you, the next moment for you, Here's here's an important question. How do you get off this wide road and how do you get onto the narrow road? That'd be a pretty important question. As I looked at that passage, you know, I was just kind of struck with this thought that Jesus says that there's this road people are on that leads to hell and there's another road that leads to life and obviously you gotta then wrestle around with how did you get on this road and how do you get to this road? I mean, it, it, it kind of, you got to tease that out a little bit. That's an important thought. And beloved, I want you to know that this is what Easter is all about. Easter is all about how you get on to that narrow road that leads to the life that Jesus offers. That's what this moment is, is, is all, all about. So here, here, here we go, okay? The first five words of the Bible say this. In the beginning, God created. And in my opinion, these are the five most important words in all the Bible. Now, some of you might disagree with me, and you know, you're a follower of Christ, and you might say, are you kidding me? There are other words that are more important than that, and that's okay, we can all have our own opinion. But my opinion, and I'm standing up here. (laughs) My opinion is those are the five most important words of the Bible. They're the first five words in the Bible because if you can't get past those five words, nothing else really matters. You see, if you can't get past those five words, then life really is kind of meaningless. 
The Bible says that God created the heavens and the earth. He created all the stars that are in the sky. He created the fish that are in the sea. He created all the plants that grow in the earth. He created all of the, the birds that fly in the air. He created all the bugs that crawl on the ground. He created all the animals that, that roam on the earth. In the beginning, God created. And what science does, praise the Lord for science, is they just simply study what God created, how it all began, you see. I'm not, I'm not afraid of science. But then the Bible says that God created his masterpiece. Yeah, he created the earth and the sky and the sea and, and the plants and the birds and bugs and animals and all, all of that. But then the Bible says he created his masterpiece. And his masterpiece is you. The Bible says... that he created human life. Listen to this first Easter truth, and I'm gonna give you four of them just quickly. The first Easter truth is, is that God created you in his image. It's a message you don't hear from the world. The world would want you to believe that two molecules got together a billion years ago or whatever, and you know, here we are all today. You're just educated goo. You're just a little higher up the food chain than a than an orangutan. It's unbelievable. Listen to me, listen to me, especially you young people that are here, and there's a lot of you. You're not educated goo. You're not a coincidence of nature. You're, you're, you're not just, you know, a little, you know, evolutionary process above a monkey. You were created in the very image of God. Listen to the word. The word says in Genesis chapter one, then God said, let us make human beings in our image, in our likeness. Here's this image of God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the, this thing that we call the Trinity. And after they've created all of these other things, they say, let us Make human beings in our image and in our likeness and let them rule over the fish and the birds and over the tame animals and over the earth and over all the small crawling animals on the earth. So God created human beings in his image. You're far more than just a chance meeting of two molecules. You were made in the very image of God. That's what makes human life special. That's what makes us unique. It's what gives our lives dignity. It's what sets human life apart from all other life. It's called the sanctity of life. Sanctity simply means it's separated. There is nothing like human life. You're, you're uniquely made. Cows and goats and whales and spiders and frogs aren't created in the image of God. They're created by God, but they're not made in his image. Only we as human beings are made in the very image of God. And that's what sets us all apart. Jesus, or James, who was the half-brother of Jesus, said this. And we, out of all of creation, 
became his, God's most prized possession. Unbelievable. Let me tell you something. If we taught our children that growing up, that people, human life is special, it's unique, it's sanctified, wow. You think that'd make a difference in, the, in our homes and in our streets and all the crummy things that are going on in our culture today? You see, what we've got is a generation of people that are acting out just what they've been taught. You're, you're but an animal. You're a little bit higher up the food chain. You're not. You're made in the very image of God. And you, human beings, are God's most prized possession. And one of the things that, that God wanted was he wanted to have a relationship with you. He didn't want to have a relationship with a cow or a, you know, a goat or a snail. He created them, but he wanted to have a relationship with you. He wanted us to love him and worship him, and in, in return, he would meet all of our needs. He longed for that. But for that to happen, God had to do something. He had to give you what was called a free will. He had to give you the ability to choose because if you don't have a free will, if you don't have the ability to choose, you can't really have a relationship, can you? Imagine if a robot walked up on this stage and said, I love you, Rick Countryman. I love you. I love you, Rick Countryman. I love you. I love you, Rick Countryman. I love you. I mean, the words are nice, and, and it walked away. I love you, Rick Countryman. I love you. Guess what? It's not real love. I know that that thing has simply been programmed to say that. It doesn't really love me. I really don't have a relationship with it. That makes sense, doesn't it? Well, God didn't want a bunch of mindless robots walking around saying, I love you, God. I love you. I worship you, God. I love you. I love you, God. Because that's not real. That's not a real relationship. He wanted you to love him because you really loved him. And to accomplish that, one of the things that he gave us that's very unique is he gave us a free will. He gave you the ability to choose. Which brings us to the second Easter truth. And this one's kind of brutal, okay? Um, Listen to me. Beyond all the pastels and eggs and brunches and family, listen to me, there's a very dark side to Easter. Most churches don't want to talk about that dark side. But there's a reason why the second person of the Holy Trinity came to planet Earth and went to a cross and died and was put into a tomb and walked out of it. It's not because he had nothing else better to do for 33 and a half years. And I need to unpack the dark side of Christmas and Easter for you. Because let me tell you something, there's a reason why God came in that, to that little town called Bethlehem. 
Christmas is way more than about trees and lights and presents. There's a dark side to Christmas, and there's a dark side to Easter, what we're celebrating right now. The second Easter truth is this. When Adam exercised his free will and he made the choice to disobey God, it, it changed everything. The Bible tells us that after God created the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, he gave them a beautiful place to live. It's called the Garden of Eden, and he promised that he would take care of all of their needs. But he had to set things up in such a way that Adam and Eve would love him and worship him because they truly wanted to. And so what he did was this. He put them in this garden, and he said, Adam, Eve, it's all yours for as far as the eye can see. Enjoy it all. All that you can see is yours. But there's one tree over here. I don't want you to touch that one. Don't want you to eat from that one. That's how we set up this idea of choice and free will. It's all yours. Hey, you love me, you worship me, you obey me, you follow my commands, and I'll tell you what, we'll have an incredible relationship together. But here's the deal, I want you to choose that, so almost set it up in a way where you now got a choice. So just don't eat from that one tree. But the Bible says this, when the woman Eve saw that the fruit of the tree was good, it was good for food, it was good and pleasing to her eye, and it was also desirable for gaining wisdom. She exercised her free will, and she made the choice to say, God, I don't want to worship you. I don't want to love you. I don't want to obey you. And she went and ate. She also gave some to her husband, Adam, who was with her, and he exercised his free will, he made the same choice and said, you know what? God, no thank you. I'm gonna choose to disobey you. The Bible says this in Romans chapter five, when Adam sinned at that very moment that Adam made the choice not to love God, not to worship God, not to honor God, it says that sin entered into the world. Listen to me. That moment in Genesis chapter three was, was cataclysmic in its impact on planet Earth. You see, Christianity has an answer to the question of evil. Now, people may not like the answer, but we have one. It goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. When God who created us in his image, who longed for us to have a relationship with him, who gave us a free will at the moment Adam and Eve made the choice to blow God off, this thing called sin entered into the world and it changed everything. It messed up everything. Sin ruined the relationship between Adam and God but it also ruined the relationship between you and God. You see, the Bible says in Romans chapter three that we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. Well, how did that happen? Listen, uh, some of you have gone to that website called ancestry.com, and you've gone on there, and you've clicked on, and you found out who your grandpa was, and you found out who your great-grandpa was, and you found out who your great-great-grandpa was, and you can kind of extrapolate that thing out, and it only goes back so far. 
where theoretically, if you were to take that all the way back, you know where you get? You get all the way to Genesis chapter 1, where Adam and Eve were created by God. You see, Adam and Eve literally were our great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-great-grandparents. And one of the things that they did was, when they sinned in the garden, it brought sin into the world. They had children, and they passed along sin to their children. Their children, children had children. They were sinful. They had children who were sinful. They had children who were sinful. Last night, my wife and children were sitting right down there, and one of the things that my wife and I passed on to our children was sinful nature. We all have it. Sin is tainted all of us. The great prophet Isaiah said, all of us like sheep have gone astray. We, we, we've left God's path to follow our own. We were just like Adam. God said, here's the path, Adam. It's all yours, enjoy it. Just don't go down that path. And just like Adam, you know what we've all done? You know what, God, I don't really care all that much about what your word says. I don't care if my spouse goes to church. My kids can go to church. You know, my parents can go to church. But I don't really want to follow what you have to say. And we've all gone on the same path that Adam went on. We followed our own path. Proverbs says it like this. Who can say I have cleansed my heart and I'm pure and free from sin? And the answer is nobody. We've all sinned, we've all blown it, we've all disobeyed God, we've all done things that we knew were wrong, we've all done things that we, you know, said things that we knew were wrong, we all have regrets, right? We all have guilt. Sin causes us to think crummy thoughts. It causes us to do crummy things. Listen, every broken marriage, every disrupted home, every shattered friendship, every argument, every disagreement, every evil thought, every evil word, every evil deed, every good deed undone, every good thought unthought, every good word unsaid can be attributed to sin. It's why this world is in such a bloody mess. It's sin. Because of sin, there are tears and pain and wars and fighting and anxiety and discord and unrest and fear, worry, sickness, famine, earthquakes and pollution and anything else you can think of that mars the planet. Sin brought death, physical death to all that have come before us and it's gonna bring physical death to everybody sitting in this room. Sin has touched every one of us. It's a force that no one can escape from. It literally pollutes, defiles, and stains, and mars everything it touches. Listen, you were made in the very image of God, but when Adam sinned, it marred the image. We no longer looked and talked and thought like God anymore. It impacted all of us. But the worst thing about sin is that it ruined our relationship with God. It, it broke the beautiful relationship that we had with God. Isaiah went on to say, it's your sins that have cut you off from God. It's not the color of your skin. It's not how tall or short you are. It's not about what country you come from. It's not about how much money you got in your 401k or your 403b. It's your sins that have cut you off from God. 
Because of your sins, he has turned away and he's not gonna listen anymore. Look, God is holy and perfect and we're not. And if you don't believe in God, you still know you ain't perfect. And here is this holy and perfect God. How in the world do we, these sinful, imperfect people, how do, how do we have a, a fellowship together? Heaven is this perfect place. How does God allow us, imperfect people, to go to heaven? Because if God allowed imperfect people to go to heaven, it'd only take about 10 minutes for heaven to be like planet Earth is. A bloody mess. It's impossible for us as sinful people to have any fellowship with God. It's impossible for God to let imperfect sinful people into his heaven. Otherwise, you just have another planet Earth on your hands. In Exodus chapter 34, God said this to Moses. He said, Moses, the, the Lord forgives people for evil. He does. The Lord forgives people for their sins. He does. The Lord forgives people for turning against him. He does. <laughs> but he doesn't forget to punish guilty people. And the question you gotta ask yourself is this. Who are the guilty people that God's gonna punish? Because the last thing you, know, you want is to be punished by God. Well, the answer is we're all guilty because we've all sinned, which means every one of us is gonna be punished by God someday. Listen, beloved, sin is a horrible thing. It's a horrible thing. Your old life with its sin comes with a huge consequence, God's punishment. Now, what exactly is God's punishment? Well, I'm gonna let Jesus answer that, okay? Jesus said this in Matthew chapter 25. He says, when the Son of Man comes, that's him, when Jesus comes in all of his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit upon his glorious throne. <coughs> we just sang about that a minute ago. All the nations, the people, will be gathered in his presence and he will separate the people just as a sheep separates the sheep from the goat. Sounds like two roads, huh? He will place the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, the sheep, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. Then the king, Jesus, will turn to those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, hell, prepared for the devil and his demons. They will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Once again, if you don't like those words, we can still be friends. Because those aren't my words. Those are the very words of Jesus. Beloved, the consequence or the, or the punishment for your sin is eternal separation from God. Now, I'm gonna say something that you just don't hear in many churches, and I don't talk about it very often. Obviously, in the, the, the marriage um, series, it, it will be way different than a weekend like this, but I want you to understand what Easter's about here. Listen to me. I'm gonna make a statement you just don't hear very often anymore. Sin literally damns every soul to hell. This guy's not very nice. This, this guy's bumming me out. <laughs> Listen, the Bible teaches this. Listen, beloved, <laughs> that we're all evil. Some are just more evil than others. That's what the Bible teaches. We're all sinful. 
we're all evil. Everybody in this room is evil. Some are just more evil than others. Hitler, Manson. See, the world goes, oh, no. We're all good. Some are just better than others. That is not the teaching of the scriptures. The Bible teaches very clearly we are all evil. Some just more evil than others. Now, I know some of you are going, man, dude, this is a bummer. And it really would be if I said, hey, listen, thanks for coming. Go have your brunch. <laughs> it's like, oh, what? Oh, man. I ain't, I ain't coming back to this church again. My God. Showed up all happy singing all them songs and all that. Can, can I get my offering back? Can you send that thing back down the deal? My gosh, this is a drag. <laughs> well, the good news is, is that there's two more points, and I'm going to rush through them very quickly. Okay, listen, listen to me. <laughs> there is good news. But the good news doesn't mean anything if you don't understand the bad news. Who needs good news if you don't know what the bad news is, you see? And so on a weekend like this and we're celebrating Jesus coming out of a tomb, I, I got to cover this because there's a point to it all. And some of you are, it's nonsense. I know, I, I get it. I know some of you right now are going, this is just nonsense. This is, I, I, I'm okay with that. But for some of you, I, I think you're going, whoa. Whoa, whoa. You see, God has the power to change everything. This is the good news. He has the power to give you a new life. Remember Jesus, his words? I've come that you might have life. Hey, you're going to come alive. Whoa, this is, this is unbelievable. There's a road that leads to hell, but there's a, another road that leads to life. You see, God has the, the power to give you a new life. He has the power to step in and give you an eternal life. He has the power to overturn what sin has done. Sin marred us all, but God has the power to restore the image, you see. Which brings me to the third Easter truth. And the third Easter truth is this, is that God made a way for you to have your sins forgiven and thus restore your relationship with him. The Bible says, for the wages of sin is death. I've talked about that, right? It's eternal separation from God. But the free gift of God, how you get on that narrow road, so to speak, is eternal life, and that eternal life is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul put it this way, he says, just as everybody dies because we all belong to Adam, all of us do, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given a new life, a brand new life. I play in a, a golf tournament each year, a couple golf tournaments, and, and all these tournaments are, you know, they're basically raising money for different things, and, and they always have this place where you can go out and buy mulligans, and um, I, I love the mulligans. And I always go up, and, you know, I can't afford a lot of mulligans, but I'll buy as many of them as I can afford. And what a mulligan is is this, is you kind of put these things in your pocket, you know, and, and you get to the first tee, and you put your tee down, you put your ball down, and whap, whew, And I'm either slicing them or, or hooking them. 
And what a mulligan is, is, is this. You get to pull out your mulligan and go, mulligan, mulligan. And then you, you give that mulligan up, and then you get to, get to tee off again, get to hit it again. <laughs> mulligan. <laughs> okay. And I, I, I can go through all my mulligans on the first hole. And that's no joke. <laughs> Some of you have played with me. And, and you know, you and I know, I've seen you. Um, you see, what a mulligan is, is it gives you a chance to take the shot over again. Beloved Easter's all about giving you a mulligan on your life. You see, the first one, your first life is messed up with sin. You sliced it into the, into the rough. You, you hooked it into the uh, uh, OB, you know. And Easter's all about God saying, look, the first one's messed up because of sin, but I can give you a mulligan. I'll give you a mulligan on life. So what do you have to do to receive this new life? How do you get this mulligan, you know? And how do you receive this eternal life? Well, that brings us to the, the last Easter truth, and that is this. You, you've got to put your trust you got to believe in, in, in God's son, Jesus Christ. Some guys came to Jesus one day and they asked him, what must we do to do the works God requires? How, how do we get on that narrow road that so few people find? And Jesus answered, here's the work. Here's how you get the life. You have to believe in the one whom he has sent. You have to believe in Jesus. Pretty simple. Jesus said this in John chapter three, he said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him shall not perish. They won't stay on that road that leads to hell and perish, but they'll have eternal life. For God did not send Jesus into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Listen to me. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. Now, I know some, you know, Christians will condemn you, and I'm sorry about that. Jesus didn't come to bring condemnation. He didn't need to. You were already condemned. Your sin had already stained you. It had already marred you. He didn't need to come and condemn you. What he needed to do was come and save you. He needed to fix the problem. Remember, you were made in his image. You are his prized possession, and he saw how sin had messed everything up, but he so cared about you that he wanted to fix the problem. John said this, and this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. God has, has given us this new life, and this life is in his son. He who has the son has the mulligan. <laughs> he who does not have the son does not have the life. And you don't have to be a PhD or graduate from college or high school. My, my son who sat down here last night's in fourth grade, he got it. He, under, he understands what that means. If you have Jesus, you got the life. If you don't have Jesus, you don't have the life. If you have Jesus, all of a sudden you and God can have fellowship. You can come into God's heaven. H how does that work? Well, let me tell you how it works. You see, Jesus was perfect. He was God's son. He lived a perfect life. He was absolutely perfect, absolutely holy, absolutely righteous. And when you invite Jesus into your life, 
all of a sudden the father looks down and he doesn't see all of the sin that has marred your life. He doesn't see all the sin that has tainted up your life. He doesn't see all the sin that messes up the relationship. What he sees is his son in your life. And his son trumps your sin. And so the father looks down and he sees my life and he doesn't see the sin in it. And let me tell you, there's plenty in my life, even as I stand up here. Trust me. I live with me. But because I have Jesus Christ in me, the Father doesn't see that anymore. He sees his son. And so guess what he can do? He can invite me into relationship with him, and he can invite me into his heaven forever. Why? Because I have Jesus in my life. It had nothing to do with me. I can't make myself good enough to be in the presence of God. I can't make myself good enough to be in the presence of the Father in heaven. There's not enough good deeds for me to do. There's only one way I get there, and that's by receiving Christ into my life. Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the life, and anyone who believes in me will live even after they die. There is a life waiting for those of us that have trusted Christ. It's unbelievable. And a little while ago, there were a whole lot of people last night, last hour, who said, I want that life. In fact, this is what I want you to do. I want you just to close your eyes for just a second. Close your eyes over in the venue, and I'm gonna wrap this up. And I just gotta believe that there are some of you here right now, and you're going, man, I want this life. I get it, I want the life. I want the life. I wanna have my sins dealt with. I want the life. Yeah, you got a good life right now. You got a good spouse. You got good kids. You got a good job. You got a good business. But man, you don't have the life that Jesus offers. And you want that life right now. This is what I want you to do. Just in the quietness of this moment. Just want you to say, Jesus, I get it. Come into my life right now. I receive you into my life right now. I believe that you were God's son. Cleanse me of my sin. My life is yours. Now while your, I don't know, heads are bowed just for a moment, your eyes are closed, that prayer is not in the Bible, I just made it up. But if you meant that, if you really meant that, if you really said, God, I want you in my life, man, he came into your life. He cleansed you of your sin. He now lives inside of you. The relationship between you and God has been restored. Unbelievable what just took place. And, and I just, if you prayed that, would you raise your hand real quick? Just let me see it. You can look up at me. Whole bunch of you right over here. Bunch of you, bunch of you right down here. Yeah, great, cool. Man, over here on this side. Just You can look up at me. Make, make sure I see you. Cool, this is great. Whole bunch of you. Let, let me also say this while your eyes are closed for a moment. Nothing like Easter weekend for a Christian who gave their life to Christ, and then for whatever reason decided, you know what, I'm gonna be the Lord of my own life. And you stopped obeying God. You stopped doing what God wanted you to do. Man, Easter weekend's a, a moment of fresh starts, and maybe this for you, Christian, is a moment just to repent of your sin and rededicate your life and allow God to be the one who, who leads your life. And if that's you, you might just say, God, I'm so sorry. This past week, this past month, this past decade, this past 
whatever. I, I, I just have not allowed you to be the leader of my life. And I repent of that. I give you back control of my life. And if you prayed that, if you just, you know, rededicated your life, just wave your hand at me. Let, let, let me see. Just starting fresh here. Man, a whole bunch of you. Yeah, man, a bunch of you. Some of you, maybe you're here and, man, you watch that baptism video and you're going, dude, I've never been baptized. I know Jesus Christ as my Savior and, man, that's just Christianity 101. And I've never, I've never been baptized. Man, some of you need to be baptized. And in just a moment, over in the venue and in here, I'm going to ask you as we sing a song to give me five minutes of your life. Just come forward and walk out these doors over in the venue. You just go into the altar room and meet Pastor Scott over there. I'm going to be over here. I just want to talk to you for five minutes. Just dialogue with you. Maybe tease out a little bit about what God's doing. If this was a genuine decision in your life, man, give me five minutes of your life. And so this is what I want everybody to do, okay? Everybody over in the venue and in here, everybody stand up, all right? And we're gonna sing a, a, a chorus. And as we sing that chorus, man, there are people literally all over this place, and I know you got places to go, I know it. But I can't think of anything that'd be more important to go, man, I wanna go talk with the pastor just for a moment. I'll talk with you in a group, five minutes. And maybe, maybe your spouse raised their hand and you didn't, man. Grab your spouse and say, come with me. I don't know what God's doing in my life, but he's doing something. Maybe grab your parents and say, hey, listen, God's doing something in my life. Would you come with me? If you're here by yourself, grab somebody next to you. It looks like they've been here for a while and say, hey, I'm a little bit scared. Will you go with me? And they'll go with you. I just want to talk to you like I did the, all of these folks for just a, just a few minutes, okay? Father, thank you, Lord, for your goodness and what you've done here. There's a reason why you came and died and rose again, and that was to give us life. Lord, many have given their life to you, and I pray, God, you'd give everybody just a little bit of courage to come forward as we sing, and I pray this in your name, amen.